Hello, and welcome to the Cornerstone League podcast, bringing together credit union advocates, thought leaders, champions, and more. I'm your host, Tanya Dittberner, Cornerstone League Director of Communications and Media Relations, and today's guest is Mike McGinnis, SVP and Chief Investment Officer of Catalyst Corporate Credit Union. I recently had the pleasure of hearing him present to a small group of Cornerstone League's largest credit union CEOs, where he discussed the recent bank failures, the economic cycle, interest rate risk, and managing liquidity in today's economic climate. Mike joined Catalyst Corporate Credit Union in 2004, where he's responsible for spearheading the credit union's asset liability management, lending and portfolio management functions, and the development of all balance sheet management and derivative strategies and services. Today, we're going to explore some of the topics he talked to our CEOs about and hopefully demystify the economic cycle and explore some strategies for managing liquidity. Mike, welcome to the Cornerstone League podcast. I appreciate you having me. What takeaways can credit unions gather from the recent bank failures? Well, the uh, hopefully all of the banking crisis is in the in the past in the rearview mirror. Uh, I think we would all uh, contend that we appreciate that. But when you look back to early March and into April, the 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 initial event was Silicon Valley Bank. So uh, Silicon Valley Bank, and and we've all read and heard and seen so much on this now, but uh, just to, to recap, so Silicon Valley Bank was a $211 billion entity and they very successful. Uh, they had a niche in the uh, venture capital and fintech. Uh, so needless to say, that led to substantial growth over this last five, 10 years. And uh, unfortunately, with that growth in the deposit side, they they ended up uh, deploying that out into investments. Nothing overly esoteric, the, uh, but they didn't hedge it. They didn't, in the rising rate environment of 2022 and forward, they didn't uh, offset it with hedges or balance out their assets and liabilities. And needless to say, they accumulated in that rising rate environment about a $17 billion unrealized uh, loss on that portfolio. So in the fall and going into the spring, they tried to do a capital raise and it failed because of that risk on their balance sheet. At that time, the Peter Thiel, who is the founder of the Founders Fund, uh, he is an activist investor and also one of the co-founders of PayPal back in the day. So, uh, but he he put out a note to his investors saying probably not the safest place to keep your deposits. Well, that went viral, and uh, that caused a forty-two billion dollar run on the bank. That's very hard to sustain for any to entity, and uh, we we saw what came about from that. Through almost instantaneously, the contagion did hit, and it went to some of the weak points in the banking sector. So, uh, the crypto banks, so uh, Signature and Silvergate, both got uh, hit very in the same fashion, and were very quickly addressed by FDIC as well. But one one interesting thing on uh, Signature was they actually had a short seller, one of the an investor were kind of working against them, uh, that had a four thousand percent return. I, I didn't even realize that that was possible, but uh, but that is what they they encountered. So after those crypto firms, uh, First Republic hit the crosshairs. Now 
That uh, was considered a very well-run bank. It was the bank of the billionaires. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg and and his his ilk were uh, all clients of, of First Republic. Well, needless to say, with the the concerns about the banking sector, a lot of their deposits left. Uh, they they actually had a conservation plan with an influx from other banks that occurred. But at the end of the day, we all saw that 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 didn't work out, and they did end up merging into J.P. Morgan. Uh, we saw. The contagion move uh, overseas. Credit Suisse, one of the large global mega banks, they had their largest investor, the the Saudi National Bank, say no more deposits, and that caused concern. So Credit Suisse got uh, addressed and merged into UBS. We Deutsche Bank, another large global entity, they survived the day. And but e- even with very strong capital position and, and good earnings, they actually saw their uh, just on the social media concerns of of them, they saw their debt swaps uh, just shoot through the roof. So there was a lot of contagion in that period in time. Now to to your question, what what are some takeaways that credits can take away from that? Well, it, it's really the the first observation is obviously deposits can leave very fast. I mean, if you look back in time, a run on a bank would have occurred over days, weeks, months, going back further, quarters, years. And uh, in, in reality, now it's occurring in minutes and hours. All of that needs to be considered when we're looking at our liquidity management plans. Another observation is uninsured deposits, they get nervous. Now we're very fortunate in the credit union space, 92% of all the deposits in credit unions are insured. We don't have those large at-risk deposits that are uninsured as as some of these uh, banks that I was mentioning did have. So it's an attribute of credit unions. And in fact, from what uh, from what we saw uh, for the credit unions were really untouched in the the downturn for, through the the banking crisis. In fact, some of the commentary we heard from some of our, our credit unions was actually were the beneficiary of some of the deposits coming out of those organizations. Another takeaway is social media. Social media is an has an instantaneous impact, right? As a, as financial institutions, we have to have mechanisms and notifications in place. So when somebody's talking about us, positive or negative, that we know about it in real time and we can react. Another good takeaway is interest rate risk is very real. I've been working with credit unions now for 25 years and Catalyst is, uh, we provide ALM services for about 15 or actually over 15% of all credit unions in the country. And over that over that time, had a lot of credit unions tell me that the shocks that we use in interest rate risk, 300 basis points, 3% instantaneous shock, that that's unrealistic. Well, we just saw a 5% increase in Fed funds in one year. So, you know, interest rate risk is very real and those scenarios can become real. The fact of the matter is most credit unions, the individuals in credit unions weren't around in the 80s, the early 80s, when we last encountered this kind of an environment. Two other takeaways. Uh, one is the health and maturity versus uh, available for sale decision that we as credit unions make when we're buying a security at the time when we're buying those, they may not be uh, a pretty inconsequential decision. But the reality is that when liquidity gets tight or there's devaluation in a particular investment, those decisions can have pretty major impact. So making sure that we're thinking ahead when we're when we're designing our policies and, and making those decisions for the liquidity events and for the devaluation moments, that, that's important. 
And then the uh, the last takeaway, it's an attribute of our industry, but thank God we don't have activist investors and, and short sellers working against us. Uh, this is really a moment where the cooperative movement really shines, the, the membership ownership and the stability that really uh, was an attribute of our of our industry. Recently, you showed a small group of Cornerstone CEOs a graphic, and I'd love for you to walk us through this graphic, which illustrated the phases of the economic cycle. Can you walk our listeners through that cycle and speak to where the current economic environment falls within that spectrum? Yeah, absolutely. So the economy moves in in cycles and we're either in expansion mode or, or contraction mode. Uh, there's actually four stages to the economic cycle. The first is expansion, and that's what we've been encountering for a number of years. That's when GDP is positive and interest rates are low or, or gradually increasing. Consumer expectations are very strong and, and spending is strong. The yield curve is generally steep, which is good for credit unions. We can manage our spreads best in that. In that environment for credit unions, lending is usually fairly robust or expanding, and our deposits are very stable. When consumers are in that environment, usually our delinquencies and charge-offs are very low as well. So there's lots of lots of positives, a good environment for credit and management in, in the expansion mode. But eventually that fervor around the robust growth in the economy causes inflation or issues that the Fed has to deal with. And the uh, we hit the peak. So in the peak, we have GDP starts to slow. We have interest rates are increasing and you'll see the yield curve flatten out and in many cases actually invert as we're in as we've been in now for quite some time. Unemployment uh, generally starts to to tick up. You know, in in credit space we we're encountering strong lending usually sure but all of a sudden, because of the rising rate environment, oftentimes our deposits get uh, are more, more rate sensitive. So uh, we're fighting more for our deposits. Delinquencies and charge-offs generally start to tick up. And then because of that flattening of the yield curve, our spreads compress, right? Eventually, when the economy has been faced for a while with that, that robust uh, activity from the Fed, usually something will break. And now, if you look back to the, the last recession, the pandemic was not economic-driven. Uh, the Fed didn't cause a pandemic. Uh, but if you look back at past economic cycles, the mortgage crisis, the dot-com bubble, the oil shock price economic events of the past, all of those uh, are generally because the environment was created it. So something breaks and we go into a recession. So in, in a recession, what happens? GDP generally goes negative. Interest rates fall. So you see the yield curve move from an inverted or flat environment back to a normal structure. And then you see consumer, consumer expectations are generally negative. Spending is slow. And then, you know, the, the yield curve is normalizing. So in, in the credit in space, what we encounter is lending starts to slow, right? Consumers are, are not interested in lending as much. And because of the recessionary event, generally there's a flight to safety. Credit are a beneficiary of that. So we see typically an increase in deposits. Now, unfortunately, it's at a point in time where rates are dropping or low. So we're getting an influx at a point in time where we really don't have a, a lot that we can do with it. And then hand in hand with a recession, usually, and we aren't really seeing it quite yet now, but usually as unemployment increases, we're seeing delinquencies and charge-offs increase. So we start to have to manage through the credit cycle that goes hand in hand with a recession. 
But eventually we managed through all that and we hit the trough, which is the fourth stage of the economic cycle. And that's where we start to see GDP improve, employment improve, uh, consumer expectations improve, the yield curve starts to steepen. So you end up with, in the credit space, we, that's where we start to see lending increase, our deposits are high, charge-offs and delinquencies are declining, and, and our spreads are wide. So, so where we are right now, you know, I, I think everybody would agree we're definitely at the peak of the economic cycle. Is there more, you know, today is actually Fed Day when we're recording this, and uh, the Fed uh, didn't increase today, but they insinuated the possibility of, uh, of an additional rate increase maybe over the next couple of months. So we'll see if that comes to pass, but we're definitely uh, showing all signs of being at the, the peak of the economic cycle. And a lot, of, a lot of people would contend that we're in a recessionary environment. We haven't seen it flow through employment. We are starting to see uh, delinquencies and charge-offs increase in, in the credit space, but nothing, nothing notable, um, really just kind of a return from very low levels to a more normal level. But I think, uh, you know, there's there's a high probability of uh, some type of recessionary pressure, if not in the fall, definitely in the spring. And at that point in time, we'll be working through that stage. So the, the credit components, the deposit inflows. What balance sheet strategies can credit unions employ during this peak current economic cycle and the next one? Well, right now, I, I think everybody is front and center with liquidity and interest rate risk. That's the common theme for the last handful of months. Liquidity is very tight. So that's in the immediate. We're all managing through repricing our balance sheets and addressing getting liquidity and our asset earnings up to where we can uh, pay out a little bit more on deposits. So that's in the right now. Looking forward to when we do enter into a recessionary cycle, really just to prepare for the credit concerns. So look at your balance sheets and see where your credit concentrations are, where there's risk on your balance sheet, and be prepared to address it if the we do see a notable recessionary event that would cause delinquencies in those in those segments of your credit exposure. And then uh, to just be prepared. I mean, right now we are doing everything we can to attract deposits. We're doing notable CD specials. And one of the components to that is that uh, we're, we're having to step out a little bit further on the deposit side. So knowing what goes hand in hand with recession is a declining rate environment. You have to prepare for that. And then you also have to prepare for typical influx in deposits. So there, there's a lot of uh, moving parts. It's addressing the immediate, but also obviously preparing for recessionary pressure on the balance sheet. Can you speak to contingency funding plans for when liquidity tightens just as part of the liquidity management strategy? We all have multitudes of mechanisms that track liquidity in our organizations between all of the liquidity ratios and also the cash flow forecasting, the sources and use reports, and, and for the, the mid and larger credit unions, the liquidity stress testing that, that is so important. And in the very largest credit unions, even capital stress testing comes into play as it relates to managing liquidity and any risk on a balance sheet. But when you, when you look at those mechanisms, it all comes down to when you do have tight liquidity, you're starting to act on your contingency funding plan. Now, one, one of the, uh, the side benefits of this, uh, where we are in the economic cycle where liquidity is so tight, is that credians are really dusting off those contingency funding plans. Many credians are having to act on those steps that we put in those plans. So for those credians that are, are in that 
that process or that are fortunate enough to have enough liquidity where they really haven't entered into it. It's really making sure that all the mechanisms are in place for instituting that contingency funding plan. On balance sheet, before you get into that really tight liquidity environment, repricing your loans, expecting to have to pay up on your deposits, all of that becomes important. So that's on balance sheet. When you look off balance sheet, looking to your liquidity, your external liquidity sources. So obviously you've got mechanisms where you, you, you have assets that you're trying to sell. So did you price those effectively to the market to where you could sell off your, your loans through either participations or securitizations uh, on the investment portfolio, selling out of those positions? What in a rising rate environment, obviously it's very hard to take a gain. So what is the nature of that loss and how does that compare to your other sources of liquidity? Looking for non-member deposits, what's the pricing on that? Looking to your actual borrowing sources. So corporate credians like our, ourselves, the uh, we're the quite common liquidity source for the majority of credians in the country. But in, de- in addition to us, you know, FHLB is for, for credians that are in the mortgage space and and have exposures to mortgages, that they're a very good liquidity source. And then you get into the the Fed discount window, and now most notably the the one of the mechanisms that the Fed put in place to address the banking crisis was the bank term funding program. So for the large credits, that's an excellent source. And then the mainstay behind the credit movement is the NCUA's uh, central liquidity facility. With all of those sources, just making sure that you have your collateral positioned appropriately and that you're prepared. Because if there's going back to the takeaways from the banking crisis is that when liquidity gets tight, it gets tight very quickly. And making sure you have all those mechanisms in place is important. Can you help me thread the needle between interest rate risk, lending, and deposit rates? One of the uh, lessons learned through this last year in the crediting space has been really that we, historically, we are less market-driven than we probably need to be. So in, in our loan pricing models, you know, obviously we're very aware of the competitive environment and we always want to make sure that we're illustrating uh, crediting value. But in this rising rate environment, the external lenders, uh, whether that be banks or the, the direct financing options, they all of those mechanisms reprice to the market. And credit unions were very slow to reprice. Now, we we said that that was a strong value that we provided to our membership. But at the end of the day, that created challenge because when when liquidity tightened, we didn't have the ability to sell those mechanisms. The investment securities uh, that we were bringing on and on the loan side to be able to participate out or securitize those loans out because they were so upside down, it's very hard to do. So when, when you're managing interest rate risk, just to be aware of both the competitive environment the balance sheet needs, and also the market-driven pricing. So the biggest takeaway on the the lending pricing side is that we do need to be more real-time on that and have that. Now, looking to the deposit side, one of the strong attributes that has enabled us to have such competitive loan uh, rates to our members is that we have a very loyal deposit base within the credit space. And because of that, we haven't seen a massive outflow of deposits uh, as external rates have grown pretty substantially. So credit unions, as of the third quarter, I think uh, our deposit average was like 140. In reality, money market accounts, because of the inversion of the curve and where the treasury rates are, money markets are are in that 470. And we've even seen some external banks uh, now paying 550 for deposits. So that's a very competitive environment. 
we're going to see disintermediation continue. We're fortunate in the crediting space that it's a very gradual process. The other component to it is obviously interest rate risk. And there's a variety of things creditings can do when they're managing both their, their deposits and, and loans. And that really comes down to using some of the either on balance sheet instruments to mitigate your interest rate risk or for the larger creditings to use hedges. And we've seen that in the rising rate environment uh, related to creditings taking on mortgages. One of the things that we're seeing now is hedges being deployed to be able to offer creditings or or members longer term CDs. So going out and offering members three or five year CDs, but offsetting that downside interest rate risk with interest rate swap. So there's a variety of things that creditings can do to really be beneficial to members, but also manage that liquidity and interest rate risk. Within the context of the economic cycle that you described just now, and considering that we're at the peak and the next cycle would be the recessionary cycle, what is the next area of concern for credit unions, aside from delinquencies and just the other things that come along with the recessionary cycle? You know, where we are in the economic cycle, it is it is credit concerns. The uh, As we start to see unemployment increase and that flow through. It it is managing the delinquencies and charge-offs and any concentrations of of risk that we have in our balance sheet, that becomes omni-important. The deposit inflow. So eventually we will see a declining rate environment, whether that's later this year or more probably in 2024, we're going to see the yield curve, the front end fall back down and we're going to see inverted rates. Well, one of the challenges that creditors always face in that environment, you can look back consistently over the economic environment, we encounter that lending slowing deposits inflow in a declining rate environment. So you get these deposits, but you don't really have, you can't deploy it into loans because there isn't demand, but then the investment rate is falling. So every day you're looking at an, at an investment rate and it's it's generally worse than the day before. So the natural tendency would be, well, rates are down. I'm going to wait. I'm going to keep this in cash and not deploy it. Well, where you are in the economic cycle, obviously you always have to take care of liquidity first, but deploying those assets and into investments as the yield curve normalizes is very important. That's how you create earnings that are going to sustain you during a lower rate environment until we end up going into a more robust uh, expansion cycle again. Is there anything I forgot to ask you that you'd like to share? There's one thing that uh, expound on a little bit, and that's that's something that credit are dealing with in the immediate. So there's a lot of credits that that we talk to on a constant basis that are very interested in retaining and deposit and growing their deposits. So the the first thing that that comes to that discussion is is it easier to retain or to attract deposits. And I think every credit would agree it's cheaper and easier to retain your deposits. But how do you do that? You know, we can't raise our cost of funds to 4 and 5% We don't have the margins to do that. So how do we protect our main depositors without hurting our spread, our our net interest margin on the balance sheet? Well, and really it comes down to identifying the at-risk deposits. And really that's data mining. That's looking at not just who's our biggest depositors, but who are the biggest depositors. Looking at your non-term deposit studies and using demographic data to identify which members are likely to have multiple bank accounts or utilize brokerage accounts and money markets. Identifying who are their at-risk deposits and then getting them into either a very strong money market or into a, a robust CD 
protects those deposits, but it doesn't inflate your overall cost of funds. It's a hard thing to do, but it's something that's very, very important. You know, some of the other stuff that, that credit unions can do to maintain and attract deposits is related to the payment side. We're in a dynamically changing environment related to payments and Catalyst is in, immersed in it. You know, we have, obviously we're a very big check processor and ACH provider and wires to credit unions, but we're moving into Fed now and P2P. So one of the things that a lot of credits are probably familiar with is Apple uh, partnered with Goldman and created a savings account. In the initial days, I think they were paying 412. Now that was uh, a rate cycle or a rate increase that passed, but uh, they attracted a billion dollars in four days. That's a threat to credit and deposits. So how do we offset that? Credians have all, all have access to uh, the Apple wallet, all of the, the Google wallet, all of the wallet services that are out there. Attaching our debit and credit cards in that and educating our members that we are part of that technology can help us fend off some of those deposits. Being in the forefront of FedNow, making sure that you are set up to take those faster payments. You know, one, one of the things that's going to be coming at FedNow starts in July. And one of the things that will be coming from that is the government will start to pay people through that mechanism. So treasury checks, benefit checks will be coming to your members through that. Members are very interested in getting that very quickly. So, you know, having those mechanisms in place so that people aren't tempted to the other institutions. You know, looking to the the promotional incentives you provide in maximizing, you know, what is of most interest to your members. I mentioned earlier that CD concept of how do you compete on longer term CDs without impeding your long term profitability? Well, some of that may be hedging. So uh, looking to those kind of mechanisms. The last thing I'd mention as far as maintaining the attract deposits is on the commercial side. Credits have been very good over these last decade plus of growing out our commercial deposits. So consistently, we've seen growth as a percentage of our balance sheet, but we are seeing we aren't that great at attracting commercial deposits. So how do we do that? Uh, well, it's redefining the resources that we have for business members. And that is, that is you know, making sure that we have uh, treasury functions that work for them, making sure that we align with Quicken Books, the, making sure that we've trained our staff to address business needs and maybe even having dedicated staff. So there's a lot of things that credians can do to attract some very stable small business deposits that can really help us in this type of an environment. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with us and just for spending the time. Absolutely. My pleasure. Many thanks to Mike McGinnis for sharing his perspective and wealth of knowledge on the banking failure fallout, economic cycle, and what credit unions can do to manage liquidity. If you have any topics you'd like to hear or you'd like to be a guest on the Cornerstone League podcast, drop us a line at hello at cornerstoneleague.coop. Be on the lookout for more information on liquidity management through Cornerstone League's publications. Thanks for listening. 